Hello, welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 144, and we're going to be interviewing Zach S. How you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be doing this with you. So uh, let's get started. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Childhood growing up. So um, I'm a 90s baby. I was born in 1990. Um, I had a, I had young parents. Um, my mother had me when she was 16. Um, <clears throat> both, um, you know, the, the gene per se of um, um, addictive behavior definitely runs in my family. And um, my my parents didn't stay together. They tried to make it work, but um, I kind of moved moved around a lot as a kid. Um, so one thing I've realized later on in life was um, that aspect made me kind of develop a, a chameleon uh, thing where I was, you know, changing schools a lot. And uh, I was always the new guy. So um kind of had to blend in on my own to to kind of fit in and um that that caused me to not necessarily know what my identity was um I will say that uh <clears throat> um because my uh my father was um in a 12-step program as well and I went to um meetings actually a lot and while, while I was a kid, um, before I was actually in active addiction, um, did a lot of fellowship, like campouts and stuff like that. Um, so I had an idea of meetings, but, um, to me, it was just something that dad did. I really didn't know, um, what the, what the core of it all was at the time. Um, it wasn't until later in life that I, I realized how, how important it was going to be to me. Um, when I was about, uh, I didn't really, um, the first time I, I tried beer, I was probably like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. And I actually didn't really like it. Um, I was curious, but I didn't really like it. I do remember um, a couple years later when my mom got remarried, um, at her wedding, there was a champagne toast, and um, I was allowed to participate in it. And I took it like a shot, and the bubbles went up my nose, and I dropped the cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, should have been a sign there that I was uh, I was ready to send it. But um, it was about once I got to high school. Um, after moving around a lot as a kid, I finally went to the same high school um, for four years, um, and as a freshman. I started um, walking to this neighbor, uh, uh, neighborhood friend's house, and um, her parents were a lot more lax. And um, that's where I really started getting to um, take advantage of the fact that uh, there was less supervision. And uh, I started drinking regularly on weekends. And uh, that feeling of being different and um, being the uh, the outsider, the one who was just trying to fit in, that uncomfortable feeling went away. And um, that's when I really 
taste that feeling because uh, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin for most of my life. It was like my life was just one run on awkward moment. That's how it felt. And uh, I could be funny. I could be, even if I was being, um, even if I was embarrassing myself, at least people were paying attention to me. Um, and then I still got good grades and stuff. I was able to uphold the, the facade of uh, everything because I was still being able to manage it because it was just a every weekend thing. Um, and then I'd go home. And then uh, I started smoking pot uh, around 16. And that became, that went hand in hand with the drinking. Um, as a regular weekend thing. Uh, and Let I have a question. Being that you drank first, do you think drinking was your gateway to pot? Because people always say that marijuana is the gateway drug. And the reason I'm asking this question is, I don't believe that. I think it's just the easiest thing for someone to get for their first time. You go to around to, in high school asking where to get pot, it's pretty easy. You go around high school asking it cocaine or heroin, I mean, it might be easy, but not as easy as getting pot. It's it's funny you ask that. Actually, in, um, in college, I had a class uh, called Addictive and Compulsive Behavior, and uh, the the professor was Mitch Earlywine. He was part of um, NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. And I wrote a paper um, on that precisely about how marijuana is not a gateway drug. Um, and the reason, it, after writing that paper, the reasoning was being there's a difference between correlation and causation, just because um the act of smoking marijuana came first for many people doesn't mean that it was the cause of them trying other um, drugs. Uh, it was more like, for instance, it's a bad, bad example, but if I ask you to pull my finger and I, and I let out gas, although you pulled my finger first, that wasn't the true cause. The actual third variable um, would be the personality of the person that sensation seeking and if you want to follow that same um, uh, train of logic, if you ask any heroin addict what the first thing they tried was, it would probably be a cigarette. But you wouldn't call a cigarette the gateway drug, would you? That's another thing that's a very good point that I say a lot of times that cigarettes are also gateway drug. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so um, I, after I started smoking pot, um, I so let me back up a little bit before I ever tried drugs one one thing that ever that I noticed of my addictive and compulsive behavior I noticed in video games I would um er, early on in life I would become obsessed with video games I liked the way it made me feel I liked the escape of it all I would stay up until like four in the morning so um just like online video games with other people. And this was the world I escaped in. So as I got older, that's what drugs and um, alcohol came for me. So later on in life, I didn't even really like the way marijuana made me feel, but it changed the way I feel or the way I felt. So I continued, I continued to do it because anything that changed 
the just sober-minded, um, having to view the world um, with clarity, which I just didn't want to do. Um, I continued to do anything that really altered my, uh, maybe not have to deal with the world. So, um, I lost my train of thought, but I think at this, at this point in time, um, I can look, I can look back. Like I recently went to, after when I was 11 months sober, I went to, um, my best friend's wedding back in New York. Um, and I was sober and none of them are alcoholics, but, um, everyone was drinking and had an epiphany like I I didn't have a craving for to drink or or anything like that but I realized why I picked up my first drink to begin with and um it wasn't it wasn't because I really was curious about the or I wanted to change that uncomfortable feeling because that uncomfortable feeling was still there even though I was 11 months sober I hadn't fully worked um through all the steps yet um so there's still things I had to work on, but I realized that the reason I took that first drink was to make that all go away. And that's exactly what it did. It was a solution. It wasn't a great solution, but it felt like a great solution at the time. Um, but after having that perspective and, and um, at the wedding, just kind of calling my sponsor and um, calling some other um, alcoholics and addicts, um, kind of getting me get myself out of my head uh I was able to just get on the dance floor over dance my dance my ass off and I had a great time at the wedding and I didn't I didn't need to drink because I know how that story ends for me I would have ruined the wedding but um as far as um yeah I don't know can go on more about um later on in life um whatever you'd like yeah no let's um let's stick to when you're just a little you'd be younger what was okay so you went through all four years of uh, college yeah well I dropped out at um I went um I moved out of my I got my own apartment I was a um supervisor at a um at a place called Boston market. Um, and I was going to, uh, SUNY Albany. I was studying uh, criminal justice and psychology. Um, and I, I do have my bachelor's now, but I originally did drop out, uh, because my life just became, um, wanting to party. I, I liked, I liked that. Uh, I had, I was, it hadn't gotten so bad yet, but I, I was fun. I had an identity in that. And even if I was, even if I was um, embarrassing myself sometimes, like <laughs> when other people would embarrass themselves because of a night of blackout drinking, because I was a blackout, blackout drunk. Um, they termed it, they coined the phrase getting zacked. Hmm. So, it's like, oh, Richard got stacked last night. Um <laughs> So I ended up uh, dropping out of of SUNY the first time. I had about maybe um, half of my credits, maybe three three quarters of my credits. 
Um, I was in a, uh, a relationship with my high school sweetheart and, um, I was very selfish and self-centered and, uh, we were, it was also very codependent. I didn't, um, necessarily. How were you selfish? I cared more about drinking and, and, um, getting high than I did about our, our relationship. And I didn't know better at the time, nor did I even realize I was being like that. And I also felt like, even though she cared, um, we were also very all up in each other's stuff. Uh, coming from a 17, a 17 year olds up until about 21, 22, um, we didn't necessarily develop the best, the best um, relationship habits. So once I was, once we had broken up, um, felt like it was the first time in my life that I could, I could spread my wings. Not that I, not that I wasn't already partying before, but now I could, I didn't have to answer to a girlfriend or anything like that. So, um, women became another, another, um, outlet for me. Essentially, they were just beer, beers with legs. And uh, that's something I, I don't think of them that way now, but um, I definitely mistreated um, women and and treated them as objects for a very long time after that relationship. Uh, right after that, I went to West Virginia with a bunch of friends just for a trip because I had just broken up with my girlfriend. I was a free man. I could do things like that because I would have never flied when I uh, flew when I was um when I was with her and we went down for a weekend, a couple of the guys went to school there um, that I went to high school with. They were in a fraternity and uh, I w- that night, I, the first night I was there, the drinks were half the price than they were in New York, but I, I still managed to spend the same amount of money. Um, and I was like a Long Island drinker. It's just whatever sent me to the top, whatever got me there the quickest, because I drank for one reason, and that was to get drunk and forget what happened. Um, and that was also the first time I uh, I tried I tried ecstasy actually for the first time that night. Now, when looking back at it now, it's funny. Because I I could see my my higher power working working in me, um. Because I did I lost my friends that night. I'm in the sticks. I'm in the middle of of a town I am unfamiliar with, and it's really just a college town. It's Morgan Morgantown, West Virginia, and there's nothing but to do but party, and then it's just woods, and the college, and then it's just woods. I blacked out. I lost my friends. I lost my phone. I don't remember any of this. I could have ended up dead in a ditch, um, you know, a number of things. But somehow I walked myself to jail and passed out. I, I, never, not knowing where the jail is, but I, I walked to the public safety building, which was the jail, the police station, passed out on the side of the building. And that was the first night I ever got arrested. Um, I had marijuana in my pocket and, um, 
and uh, ecstasy that I took. Uh, you walked yourself to jail while drunk. Yeah, God, God walked me to jail because he knew uh, I was a danger <laughs> to myself and others. But uh, yeah, that was that. Was, uh, that. Um, calling, <laughs> calling my family from from jail from West Virginia. That was that was fun. Um, of course, um, they bailed they they bailed me out, and I ended up paying paying them back by taking out a a loan uh, later on. But um, I think that was the first time that they realized I was getting out of control. Um, you know, my father's sober, um, and uh, my mother. I've always, I was always really a good kid because I could keep it together even when I started drinking. But And uh, at one point it was labeled that I was just kind of like going through the phase of like discovering, you know, what, what kids are doing. But at this point in time, it was it was me losing control. Um, but when I got back to um, Albany and I was dealing with all this, I was still working at Boston Market. And... Um, I also developed a, a a problem with gambling um, because anything that makes me feel good, anything that changes the way I feel, I like that and I want that. Um, that caused me to eventually get uh, get fired from my job at Boston Market because I was abusing my manager privileges and um issuing false refunds and pocketing the money so I could take that money home, get the drinks and and drugs and gambling money I needed to to have a good time. And I thought I was slick and that it wouldn't catch up with me. And funny part is <clears throat> I thought I needed a geographical cure when I eventually said, all right, something needs to change. And I was going to move. I, I ended up moving to New Jersey to be with my aunt because she was going to you know, in my mind, she was going to help me get back on track. She had a nice house, um, you know, married, two kids. I was going to get some responsibility. Um, so I had already put my two weeks in to Boston Market. And the week before I was officially leaving, it all caught up with me and I got fired. It, it, the universe is never late. Let's just say that. Um, so I went to Jersey and, um, what's the saying? Everywhere I go, there I am. Um, it was okay for a while. I was, you know, staying sober, um, helping with her two kids, taking on a little responsibility, uh, got a job there. And that's when I started waiting tables. And that's when I that's when I discovered the restaurant subculture and how fun that could be. I've heard about it. I've heard big party scene, right? Mm-hmm. And not everyone's um, susceptible to it, but someone like me, they will find what they want and they will find the people that they want. And they're, um, you know, you know, the story writes itself. But that's when I started uh, doing that. And that just... You know, most people like to have a drink after work, so of course I was I was um, 
going to do that. I don't want to be different. I was the new guy in town. I'm, I'm Zach from New York. Uh, and before you know it, um, I was worse than I was because the disease is progressive. And um, it ended pretty badly with at the time with my aunt and, and my uncle there. No, I I didn't like being held accountable. And looking back now, I realized she, everything she did, she did out of love. Um, but that was in direct conflict with what I wanted. So I hit her with a big middle finger and a peace sign, took my car and drew, drove back to Albany. Um, and, you know, I was stubborn. I, I didn't. I knew that, like, he cared, but I still didn't see clearly that, um, you know, I was just ruining, I was leaving a, a trail of tears no matter where I went. Um, when I get back to Albany, um, and I start working uh EF Chang's because I have the waiting experience now. My friend gets me a job there. Um, and I'm once again, I, I'm finding, finding the people that I want to hang out with. Um, I also do, do meet the, um, mother of my daughter there. She, she was a waitress, bartender. Um, and we eventually start dating, but before that ever happens, I, I got a, got a bunch of partying in and I do start dating her and I, I get my stuff, get my stuff together for a little bit. Get a really nice apartment in Brownstone, downtown Albany. Um, she get she helps me get back into, um, to school. Um, you know, I'm toning it down. I'm still drinking a little bit, but I'm not, I don't want to ruin a good thing. Um, so I, I think I have it under control. You know, we end up both graduating uh, together. She walked the stage while she was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and eventually <clears throat> I couldn't find a job with my degree. She, she found a job, you know, we're, we're moved into a place. My daughter's born. I get it. I, I just take a take a job at New York State Tax and Finance just to get something because I know I have I have a daughter on the way. Um, and I get really I get really resentful not at her but just at the situation and started drinking drinking heavy again. Um, I joined a band. Uh, um, and I realize I'm just not putting the effort into the into the relationship and my daughter's born um I pick up a second job at a deli we're trying to make ends meet but um her and I are not on the same page I'm working nights I go back to to working at the restaurant um because I wasn't happy at tax and finance I'm once my daughter gets put to bed I'm I'm drinking and smoking out on the porch and writing music I'm not realizing that like there's a whole family unit that I should, that, that I'm neglecting. Um, so needless to say, um, we eventually split up. 
And I, to me, even though it was, um, you know, obviously my, my fault, a lot of it, um, I, I, it broke me because even if we, even if it wasn't good for us to be together anymore, because of, um, I, I romanticized the idea of the, of the traditional family. So that was, that idea was shattered. And I, now it was going to have to be a, um, a co-parenting thing. So I get my own place. And the days that I don't have my daughter, I party harder than I've ever partied. Um, when I have my daughter, it's cool. I, I, you know, I we take her to the park, do all the things. As soon as she leaves, I am back at it. And um, I really don't have a good good reason for it besides that it was the disease telling me that it's okay. Um, am I, am I, is the pay, pacing okay so far? Yeah, you're, you're good. Keep going. All right, cool. So, uh, one, oh, let me back up a little bit too. One, one thing that I uh, forgot to mention is, um, in, in college, just backing up a little bit because it follows me later on down the life or down the road. I, I tried originally um, Adderall illegally. And I, I, that was a solution to a lot of my, the, the hangover part of what alcohol was doing to me. And it was, it was allowing me to kind of keep going. So I ended up getting a, doctor shopping and, and getting my own prescription to that. Um, part of the um, detriment to the relationship failing was um, with my daughter's mother was I was abusing the Adderall I was prescribed and I induced psychosis on us at one point. Um. I was taking so much that I literally thought my life was Truman show. I was like texting my family, like, I know the truth. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, and, um, <laughs> I thought I had to write some biblical book, the book of stone. It, it went, needless to say, I was hospitalized and, um, taking off, taking off of that until I came back, came back to reality. But, um, even even after that experience, I never got that bad with Adderall again, but I still use Adderall um, before I ever got sober. And uh, it's scary to think that I would go back to something that, that really took my mind. Yeah. yeah. But um, so after at, it was set up with my uh, my daughter's mother and I would have her uh, half the week. She'd have her the other half. We'd split everything. We kept everything out of court. Um, and eventually she uh, found someone else and she gets married. Um, didn't get married right away, but they end up moving to Boston. 
and I'm still in Albany. And um, I didn't really have a leg to stand on. So even though at the time I wasn't that happy about it, I couldn't really say anything. Um, and, and honestly, looking back on it, it was, it's, it's great. Um, they have, they have a great life and we're, we're on good terms today, but, um, at the time, the most important thing besides, like, even though I was abusing, the, the one good thing I ever did was my daughter, like created and, and she's my best friend in the whole world. So that I felt like I lost a piece of me when I wasn't going to have what, what we had, uh, established um I was playing so I at one point I quit all my jobs and I was just playing poker for for an entire for an entire like nine months to 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 a year I had a little bit of a run and I I went full started playing high stakes and got it up and um the house of cards eventually fell um but that's that's when um i realized that it the, the money itself because i was i was drugs or alcohol don't kill you the lifestyle will yeah uh, So once that once that fell and um you know the highs were all high, the lows were all low, I was left with absolutely nothing at the end. And um, my daughter's moving to Boston. I was just gonna see her on weekends. We were gonna like meet halfway and that that was the agreement we made once they decided to move. I took any job I can get and I started doing door to door sales. Um and some sales jobs have a very strong uh, drinking culture. Like they have team building nights and stuff like that. So, yeah. so I fit in real nice. <laughs> um, and also a lot of drinkers have the gift to gab. I was actually pretty good, pretty good at sales. And I, I had um, nothing. So I had no choice, but to, to do well at this job. If I did, I did excel at it. I, I separated myself and, and I was recognized in the office to the point where they wanted to um, teach me how to open up my own office and they were going to move me down to Austin, Texas, um, where I would watch an office get create, uh, start from scratch and then eventually I could open up my own. And in my head, I wanted to open up one in Boston. So I could be with my daughter. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show people that I'm not, that I'm not just this F up that never get anything right. As soon as things are going good, at some point I'm going to sabotage it. I, that was my way to prove it. I get down to, so I do it. I, I go to Austin, Texas. Um, and within like four to five, maybe six months, um, the drugs, alcohol, the heat, it just, it takes a toll on me. I'm not making any money. Um, it wasn't what I thought it would be. And it's, it's nobody, it's nobody's fault. I'm impulsive. And I, and I, I jumped on that because without really thinking about, about it, I, when I made the move and, um, 
the drinking, the drugs, it had all gone to me. I was left with nothing. I was just spending all the money that I did have just to live in the apartment I was. And I, at this point in time, my, my father um, was living in Jacksonville, Florida. And once again, he, he bailed me out. Um, he popped some money in my, in my Venmo account. I took everything I had, put it in a budget truck and took I-10 all the way from, from Austin, Jacksonville, Florida, right, right to the end of the Atlantic Ocean. And I stayed there. Um, and I thought another geographical change, uh, maybe this time I'll get it right. Um, fast, fast forward a little bit, cause I, I am in Jacksonville now. I spent a couple years here. Um, and I, the entire time, the idea was to get up to be with my daughter, um, again. So I say, I started saving money. Didn't learn my lesson. I went back to a restaurant and um, I always made good money in restaurants, but I couldn't, uh, had very little to show for it. Um, I did manage to save a little bit, but at, at uh, partying af- after work got out, caught up to me and um, I, I caught a, a DUI and um really never wanted to go back to jail and when you're when I was in the moment I'm like how the hell did I did I end up back here again all that money that I had saved to actually get my ass up to up to um Boston I did be spent on lawyers court fees all that stuff um so I managed to do all that I'm still in Jacksonville. I get into a, a, a relationship with um, someone who uh, I care I cared about dearly, but we definitely uh, fed off our um, the worst qualities about each other, and it was it was um, volatile to say the least. But um, I move I moved in real quick because. With most of my relationships, as I've heard the term, I, I take them hostage. Um, and it just, be, I got to the point where it was just every day, every day drinking. Um, on the way to work, there's going to be a handle in the freezer, 24 beers in the fridge and box wine and whatever I was low on, I was stopping and getting. And I just became in a constantly buzzed. Um, and it wasn't even to get drunk anymore. It was just to not feel things. Um, I even bought my own personal breathalyzer. Um, and I've got that thing to say error before I was drinking so much. I, I blew past what it's possible, what it, what it could handle. And I would also do this alcoholic math in my head where I would get up early in the morning, like eight o'clock. Um, I would have work at four. And I knew that if I took a shot, it would add 0.02 to my blood alcohol level. And if I waited an hour, 0.015 would come off. So as long as I could get there, by the time I drove to work, I was at 0.079, I was good. So 
I was like doing all this like math in my head. Um, <laughs> only only an alcoholic addict does. Um, and then COVID hit, and um, it was almost impossible to get back up to to the north at that point. And I just it was just I was started living Groundhog's Day again and again and again. Um, every, I just began to to hate myself. Um, and I thought there was no hope. I thought I just fell so far from God's grace that, you know, I've always believed in God or higher, whatever your concept of a higher power is, I choose to call God. I believed in, in that, but I just thought I, I was a disappointment and there was no redeeming myself. Um, Every time I ever talked about rehab or or anything like that, I would only talk about getting clean while I was getting high. Um, well, somehow, after um, a terrible, just another terrible fight, but it wasn't anything out of the normal. It was just another terrible fight with with my my ex girlfriend something just came over me that like, this is the time, like we're going to just continue to live this same day again and again and again. And until something changes, like the old, the old cliche thing, nothing changes if nothing changes. And even though I was like under the influence, I started reaching out to people like my sister and, and my aunt and my mother, like I want to go to rehab. Um, I started calling rehabs and I didn't have insurance and I call them up and I'd be like, tell them my situation. And, um, I told them I don't have insurance and they'd be like, okay, so if you're paying out of pocket, that's going to be $40,000. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, I guess I'll go get high then. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wrote, I forget what I wrote. I don't know if it's an article or part of the book. We have a book coming out, but, um, Part of it was, I think, I forget which one it was. We also have articles available for free, but uh, availability of proper care was a subject I wrote on. And that's the thing. Like, a cheap detox is like a thousand bucks a day. And then, like you said, a cheap residential is still like 20 grand, 25 grand. And then it, it just, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Those are the, and who could afford that if they don't have insurance? I mean, obviously there are people, but the majority of people cannot afford that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like not fair in a way, you know, that some people will get that and some people don't. You know, you want to know the reason I got mine? Because I had a DUI when I was 27. So in New Jersey, there was some program where if you had a DUI, they will send you to rehab. So it, it actually happened 10 years before. I was 37. And it happened when I was 27, but it got me into rehab for free. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, got that's awesome. Yeah, that, I say that was the only good thing that ever came out of that DUI was getting me into rehab. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, my sister somehow found, found me a rehab that I didn't need insurance. Uh, it's called gateway. I gateway saved my life. Um, and that's when I discovered, that shell once I got there, like um the shell of myself, I could I could feel Zach finally coming back to the surface. 
Um, I found my tribe to say, um, I just sat and listened, um, uh, after, so I went from detox to residential and I spent 55 days there and I took it seriously. Um, I knew that I didn't want to go back to, to the personal hell that I created for myself. Um, and I found, found Oxford house. I don't know if you've ever heard of Oxford house, but they're, they're all houses. Yeah. So Oxford is like, um, three, three quarter way. It's like democratically run, but it's, it saved my life. Um, and you know, I, I got a sponsor right away. I didn't work. I didn't work the steps, um, at first and, you know, the first six months of my sobriety, um, I, Oh, I didn't have a car or anything. I, I really had, I, I, I ate a slice of humble pie. I was riding a, I was riding a female purple bike to get to work. And, um, I eventually became miserable and in my mind, you know, I could be miserable, not sober. So some, I had to, something had to change. Um, and I ended up, um, I, I still talk to my first sponsor. Like he, he's, he's awesome. Um, but I needed, I needed to switch something in me needed, um, a fresh perspective. So the sponsor I'm with now, uh, when I really started taking the step seriously and, um, they changed, they changed my life. Um, the, the AA nine step promises, um, really, really, uh, are are continuing to come true for me and I'm extremely grateful. Um one the biggest thing for me now is is service work. Um you know they say the newcomer is the mo- most important person in the room. Um I I chair meetings. Um I got involved with Oxford House and like chapter positions and helping helping other um helping other houses get on their feet. And this lady uh, who was chairing a meeting that I regularly went to on Tuesdays said something that really resonated with me is that feeling of helping others. And because we're naturally, or at least I can, I can only speak for myself. I'm naturally a selfish person. So when I'm thinking about someone else, I don't have time to think about myself, but that joy I get from, from helping someone, um, helping someone else or, um, being able to do something for someone that they can't necessarily do for themselves. Cause that's exactly what was done for me. Um, that fills that void that I've been chasing my entire life. That, that hole, that, that thing I was chasing with drugs and alcohol. Um, alcohol and drugs has nothing on that feeling because that feeling lasts for me. Um, where, where drugs and alcohol was a temporary, a temporary fix that always made me feel worse. That service aspect literally, um, feeds my spirit. And I, and I realized it was, a, it was, um, a spiritual malady that, that I had. I, I was spiritually bankrupt. I'd, I, I wasn't being the person that I, that I knew I could be. And that in turn cyclically, um, 
made me get lower and lower and lower um, until, until I couldn't look myself in the mirror anymore. But uh, yeah, today I'm extremely grateful. Um, uh, my, my sober date is April 27th, 2021. So tomorrow I'll be 15 months. Well, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I'm just continuing to work the steps. I've, um, I'm finally, <laughs> I have about 56,000 in, in student loans that I blew off thinking like, oh, the apocalypse is going to happen. I'm never going to have to pay those. But, um, that's a financial amends that, uh, not the taxpayer's responsibility to pay for my college. So, yeah. um, things like that, making amends to my family, um, just showing up in their lives and, and, um, being the, you know, son, brother, grandson, uncle that, that they deserve. And, it, and it's definitely It's great. I'm glad to hear that you're doing so, so, uh, doing well, doing good also. And I'm grateful. I, I saw it. Um, I'm really grateful for you to, um, give me the opportunity to share some experience, strength and hope. Um, what it is, man. Even if one person takes something, that's how I look at it. Even if one person, just one gets something out of, um, hearing another person's story, um, then that's really all that matters. I, I remember sitting in the back of the room, listening to people's stories, and there's just things that even if I didn't say anything to anyone, just really changed my perspective and the light bulb went off in my head. Um, but without that, I wouldn't necessarily be here today. Might have given up. And what you're doing is service work also. We're just basically being a service. I'm helping you get your story out there, and you're getting your story out there to help people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'd love to, um, I see you guys have, have weekly meetings too. I'd love to, um, pop in one of these days. Yeah, definitely. We have meetings, uh, we're doing them three times a week now, but yeah, I'll definitely give you the info after we get off this. Yeah. That'd be great, man. So did you have anything else you want to add? Um, I guess, uh, just from my own experience for anyone, um, listening, um, you know, I can only speak from my own experience, but um, getting a sponsor early is is very important. At least it was for me, um, because I needed that. I needed to tell on myself because my disease talks to me in my own voice, um, and if I don't call it out, then it um, festers until I, until I'm, you know, they say a relapse happens way before you ever take your first drink or your first drug, but uh, it happens in the mind. And I needed to, I, I needed that accountability early. Um, but the 12 steps um, for me, um, I didn't, they seem intimidating at first, but you only got to do them one at a time. I know the fourth step was extremely hard for me. And I sat on the fourth step and doing that fearless moral inventory yourself and now I didn't want to dig that stuff up um I wanted to just leave it there but uh they're like they're like balls and chains that once I finally got to 
to let it out um, to another, to myself, to God and another human being. Um, it was freeing and I felt a lot lighter. Um, once I got past that, it was, it was a lot easier going through the rest, the rest of the steps. And, um, you know, that service work, I, I, my own experience, just helping another individual, um, you know, they say it's the paradox. You got to give it away to keep it. And, um, sounds crazy, but for me, for me, that's very true. So get involved, even small things like, um, going to meetings and getting the coffee ready, you know, some, somebody's grateful, grateful for that. Um, and yeah, speaking of gratitude, just remaining, remaining grateful. I, I count my blessings every day. Um, my life, my problems pale, like it's not all rainbows and unicorns, like life still happens and there's still problems, but they're a lot easier to deal with. And my problems definitely pale in comparison to, um, to what they did when, um, I was just in a, digging myself a hole and, and pouring drugs and alcohol on top of it. Um, and just, just exponentially made it worse. Whereas now I can, I can, uh, tackle the problems head on. Um, and I have a good support system, uh, of other addicts and alcoholics that I can lean on and they know that they can lean on me. Uh, that, that fellowship is very important to me too. But yeah. Um, I think that's all I got. Do you have any other questions for me? No, that was it. My last question was going to be if you had any advice, but you took care of that and answered that question before I had a chance to ask it. So that's all I got. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on again. It was a, it was a, a great story, and I'm glad to hear you're doing so well nowadays. Thank you very much, Jim. Thanks for having me. No, all right, my friend. Sit tight. For everybody watching, listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe so you can see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, and TikTok. Or you can also check us out on our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find a bunch of free literature and plenty of different resources as well. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time.